Changing Pace podcast. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Changing Pace podcast. Recording live from uh, Highland, Utah, where I happen to think is one of the greatest places on earth. Jim, my guest, may disagree with me a little bit. He lives in a pretty rad place. Yep, pretty similar to Highland, but you got a pretty sweet setup here. I will. Yeah, have. no, dude. But Morgan, Morgan, Utah. I don't. I mean, maybe you don't want me telling people where you live. No, but it's fine. Morgan, Utah, is a little slice of heaven. It is. But uh, for those of you who don't know, I'd like to introduce my guest a little, little bit. He's uh, he's been a friend of mine for I don't know how many years, a ton. Um, you might know him as Jackknife Jim from the Diesel Brothers. Um, you may know him as Mr. Captain Adventure. Yep. If we're if you're friends of mine, which I know a lot of friends listen. But uh, Jim's buddy of mine from Fillmore, Utah, currently lives up in Morgan, Utah. He's got a wife, uh, three kids now. Three kids. Beautiful little daughter. Yep. And Jim is probably one of the most adventurous people I know. But I want to tell you, dude, about this house, okay? I used to have a different idea of what I wanted to live and what I wanted to do. And then me and Heidi and a group of our friends stayed down at your parents' house down in Fillmore. And I remember you're like, yeah, dude, we're going to, we're going to go shoot guns. I'm like, okay, cool. I'll load up the, I'll load up the truck, you know? And you're like, he's like, no, man, we, we shoot off the back of our porch. I'm like, wait, what? And so we literally shot off your back porch into a field. And then later that night we were chasing around on razors. I think Dave ran over me with your American flag rhino. Yep. That's right. Well, you got stuck on a hay bale and I was pulling on him and just kind of rocking him, and he, you know. I rocked him loose, and then he rolled up and ran over me. <laughs> and then what else did we do on that trip? We, we went to the lava tubes. Yeah, we went to the bat caves. Yeah. Um, there was, uh, like, some jumps that you had built as a kid. Like, yep. we rode dirt bikes out there. Mm-hmm. Went to, like, some salt flats. Um, all I can remember about that trip is, like, after that, I was like, wherever I move, wherever I l- live, like, I want my own space. I want a piece of land where I could do my own stuff. Yeah, there's something to be said about a man having his own domain like your own little slice of slice of heaven a little piece of like the perfect place for you when so it's it's not the same for everybody either yeah well and no no offense to anyone that lives in draper utah but i lived there for like five six years when me and heidi first got married and it was absolutely freaking miserable yeah because everybody was concerned about where i was you know what trees i was cutting down uh, where I'm putting in an RV pad, where I'm parking my trailers. And here, dude, I just don't have that freaking, I don't have any of that. My neighbors don't care. Like I was building our pit bike track out there one time, and I've got an old man. He's He's got to be like close to 90. And he, he likes to, you know, he he waters his, his, uh, his little piece of property back there because he has horses come over and eat. And I'm building this track, and I see him start hobbling over at the fence, right? I got to skid out and... I'm like, oh, great, dude, here we go. And I'm like, he's going to shut me down, you know, because I drove my dirt bike around in the street in Draper. Cops are freaking circling. Helicopters coming out, you know what I mean? And so guy starts walking over the hobble over the fence, and I get on my skin. I'm like, oh, boy. There and we go. He looks at me. He's like, hey, uh, when, when you get that thing finished, can I bring my four-wheeler over and do a couple laps? <laughs> Absolutely, you yeah, can. Buddy. You know what I mean? But honestly, man, that 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 like whole freaking like thing started at uh, that trip to Fillmore with the with your your folks' place. You know what I mean? Glad my uh, glad my my childhood home could be of some 
some inspiration to you. Another thing that has been uh, an inspiration, and now I, I think about all the time, has been on my checklist of things that I've got to do before I die, is you, you know me, man. I freaking love motorcycles. Yep. Anything with two wheels, like that's, I mean, that's what I live for, right? Well, Jim, another one of our buddies, Dave Kylie, a.k.a. Diesel Dave. Yep. Brian Alfin, a.k.a. Nyan, all took a trip down to Brazil. Uh, and I don't want to give too much of the story away, but maybe you can tell what you're comfortable sharing because Jim just wrote a book. Um, and Jim's, I mean, dude, I wouldn't take you for the kind of guy who would have aspirations to write a book. Yep. You're not a social influencer. No, I'm not a writer. No. I'm, I'm not, I'm not the kind of guy to sit down and, and do things for an extended period of time, especially indoors. Yeah. And, uh, so it was, it, it only took me 10 years. Tell, tell us a little bit about the trip, what you're comfortable sharing. I want people to support the book. So tell them a little bit about it, what, what, what it talks about and give us a little history. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not here to push book sales by any means. And I, and that, that's why, you know, uh, that's why I'm comfortable having you on the show. Are my listener base and the people who listen to this show are not social influencers. They're regular dudes trying to be better. Uh, who are running their own business, who are running their old side hustles, which we could go on for days. You're freaking one of the dudes who I know will always come out on top. Um, but yeah, he's not here pushing book sales. But for me, I just got it. I wanted to buy it. Jim gave it to me. Um, I wanted to buy it because I wanted to support you, but uh, it's definitely going to be something that I read. And I'm not I'm not a guy to read either. Yeah, I, I wrote the book and I haven't read it. So that's, yeah. how, that's how I feel about sitting down reading a book. I should read more. Cause yeah. it's, it's good for you, but yeah, and I, I didn't, I didn't write the book to, to make money. I didn't write it to, uh, you know, to become some fancy well-known author. I wrote it because my grandma cornered me after we did this trip and she said, if you don't write a book before I die, I am going to be very disappointed. She's from Fillmore. <laughs> yeah. I take she her like, very seriously. She right? Like right in my face, you know, my grandma's like 85 pounds just little tiny lady and i was just like yes ma'am yes ma'am. <laughs> I, went, I went home and started writing on it and uh yeah I'd, I'd put in two or three months at a time you know an hour or two a day let and me then, ask you this man, then it just took, took me 10 years you didn't have like a ghostwriter write it no i i wrote you wrote every, every bit of it yeah that and makes I it actually, even cooler i actually after i got it all written found an editor and i'm like hey i want you to take this and change everything that sounds terrible like if it's if there's something that's bad or whatever, I want you to fix it. Yeah. And she didn't. She she kept it. She kept pretty much. She changed a few little things that were like, like, grammar errors and stuff like that. But I flipped through it and and read a few pages. You know, and that was one thing that I noticed. Like I noticed. I'm like Jim wrote this book. Yeah. It, it Jim sound, wrote this it book. It sounds like you and me sitting here talking to each other. Yeah. And, and I've read other people's books. I'm not going to name anybody, but you know people who have books, and I've read their books, and I'm like. They didn't write that book. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that's pretty dang cool. Too. Sitting down and writing a book. I mean, it's, there's a lot of people that should write books, but just don't have the time. And I understand the ghostwriter thing, but yeah, mine's and I'm more, not hating on anybody. Yeah, Mine's more of a journal type deal. I, I just sat down and told the story, how it happened. And I've had several people like read it and come back and be like, dude, I read the whole thing in a day and a half. Like, and so, I'm not a big, like they're not big readers. Like it's just super easy to read because it's just a story. So tell, tell us about it. Okay, so uh, I guess it all kind of started in 2008. Um, I met Diesel Dave Kiley and Nyan down at Lake Powell. 
Was that like a Gardner trip? Yeah, Gardner. Our buddy Dan Gardner invited us to a trip, and I'd never met him before. I showed up with my old fishing boat, and they were on their wakeboarding boat. I showed up with a bunch of girls. They showed up with a bunch of guys, and it was kind of <laughs> like this alpha male de- deal. We're like, you stay away from my girls, man. And they're like, go when you get with these girls. And so like, we, it was like a power struggle for like a day or two. And we got caught in this big storm out on the lake, and uh, and it, it was crazy, like, Things are blowing in the water and boats are blowing all over the place. Just chaos. And, um, yeah, we uh, got everything all tied down, all figured out, got everything secured. The storm kind of settled down. We ended up in, like, the basement of this houseboat in our underwear just telling jokes and, like, back and forth. Like, like we'd kind of known each other forever, you know. Dave and and Nyan? Dave, yeah, it was Dave's, Dave and uh, the two Daves and Nyan and just kind of just just clicked, became buddies. And it yeah. was like, from that point, man, it's just, you know, kind of developed this, this weird lifelong bond that we'd never had. And, um, at that point we were talking back and forth. Oh, so you went on a mission, you know, an LDS mission. Yeah. So did I, where'd you go? I went to Brazil. And then Sparks was like, well, I went to Brazil too. And, uh, Bolivia. And then Dave Kylie's like, well, I went to, I went to, I went to uh, Portugal. I speak Portuguese too. And then Nyan piped up and like, oh, dude, I went to Brazil too. So we're like four of us speak Portuguese and like, let's go on a trip. Like we've always talked about going back to Brazil and everything. And so he's Dave pipes up. He's like, dude, my dad's a pilot, man. I'll get us all buddy passes. I'm like, dude, don't, don't kid around. Like, don't tell me I, with a good like, time. Like if you say it, you've got to do it, man. Like, don't, don't be, yeah. Don't be teasing me. He's like, no, I'm serious. Like, let's plan it. Like, I'm like, okay, January, end of January, let's go. Carnival. Like, I served my mission in Florianopolis. It's a, a beach town in southern Brazil. Um, it's kind of like the Hawaii of Brazil, like all these major holidays. There's like 100,000 people that live there. And during the major holidays, it'll it'll hit like two or three million people. Wow. Place just gets crazy. And uh, so I was there as a missionary. We don't surf. You don't swim. You just go out and try and do good and teach people about Jesus, which is what we did. But, uh, man, as a missionary, I was like, man, I really want to come back as a civilian and come have a great time. Yeah. And um, so I told him, like, okay, let's do it. Let's uh, end of January. You tell me you tell me when I need to get you some money for a pass, and I'll do it. And then I didn't talk to him again for a couple months. Diesel Dave calls me out of the blue. He's like, hey, we're doing it. Um, I'm gonna book. I'm gonna book flights. I'm like, okay. He drove down to my house. I gave him seven hundred dollars cash for my flights, and then um, we uh, kind of sat down on my computer and like threw threw together like a tentative game plan. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna fly down on the 28th. You guys can come down to wherever you want. Just we'll just meet wherever in Brazil, and um, we'll spend two weeks in Florianopolis and kind of do the whole beach thing. And we'll fly to Manaus, which is right in the heart of the Amazon. That's where that's where Nyan served his mission. And we'll spend a week or two playing in the jungle, having a good time. And then we'll fly to Machu Picchu in Peru, do the Machu Picchu hike, and then we'll come home. You know, four or five weeks was kind of the plan. And, uh, you know, we'd saved up a bunch of money, sold off a bunch of stuff, and just kind of had an open schedule, and which was exciting. I'd, I'd been going to school every year just nonstop. And then this minute I would get out of school, I would go back East and do door to door sales. And I would sell, I would, I would work until the day school started, be home, 
and I'd go right back to school. And I did that vicious cycle for three and a half years and was just burnt out. I didn't know you sold. Yeah. Who did you say? Was Soul Arms or what? Uh, pest Control. Pest Control. Yeah. Okay. I did uh, four or five summers of it. And I, I made good money. I did well. Right. And it, it really taught me a lot about, you know, being hard-headed and, and going out and getting what you want. But um, at that point in life, this is 2009 now, um, I was just ready for a vacation, just ready to get out and do something. So I was, I was stoked about the trip. So January 28th rolled around, my flight shows up, I fly to Brazil and, um, just kind of did my own thing for a week or two, went around, visited some mission buddies and, uh, called the bus back and forth. And I, I emailed Dave and nine a couple of times like, Hey man, you be good to go. Like what's going on? Like hmm. I'm going to be here. And then like, didn't hear anything for a few days. And I was like, man, I'm, doing this trip by myself. <laughs> this is going to be sweet, but whatever. And then, uh, I'd been down there for probably eight or 10 days. Uh, one of them finally emailed me. He's like, Hey, we're, we'll be here tomorrow. I'm like, okay, I'll be at the airport. I'll pick you up. And, uh, yeah, they showed up the next day at the airport and, uh, we loaded up and we kind of just did the hostel thing, staying in hostels and bouncing around from beach to beach and camping out, hanging out, having a good time. And, um, it, uh, it was right in the middle of Carnival, which is the biggest holiday, you know, party in South America you can even imagine. And all these people just in flux to this Island. And, uh, so we had these, all these plans to visit like different sites and beaches and do stuff and hikes and everything. We get up in the morning from our hostel and which is, I mean, we're not hostile life type people, but we, we did it anyway. And we'd get our gear, get on the bus, and then just be stuck in traffic all day. Oh, my goodness. And uh, we did it for four or five days. And, you know, you would go, f- you know, five or ten miles in like an hour or two. I'm just like, oh, this is the worst. And it's hot and the buses are crowded. And um, we just see these dudes on these little enduro motorbikes just ripping in and out of traffic. Yeah, yeah just owning. I'm like, man, those guys are killing it. Like, and we've all got dirt bikes at home. Yeah. And just like I grew up you know, using dirt bikes on the farm. I rode thousands of miles on a bike as a kid. Cause I lived 10 miles out of town, you know, I'd have to ride 10 miles to town, five miles to my buddy's house, you know, and then 10 miles, I'd ride 50 miles a day as a kid all, every day. And, um, I just like, man, these, that is so awesome. And then, uh, I remember the particular day that it was just like the last straw. We were going to church in the, like the center of the city and uh, we were staying on this beach outside of town. It was like a 10-mile drive and by bus. We got on the bus early and, like, we'll make it to church in time, whatever. We get over there, and we made it to church, like, the last five minutes of church. And we were all soaking wet with sweat and just so mad and had a headache from being on the bus. And then we got on another bus to go back to the beach. And it, we didn't get to the beach until, like, late afternoon. We were on the bus for, like, five or six hours. And I was like, dude, I'm over it. No more buses. Like, we either buy a car and drive everywhere ourselves, or we're buying motorbikes. Or else, let's just get out of here and go do something else. And the guys were like, oh, yeah, well, that sounds like a great idea, this, that, whatever. I'm like, no, this is a great idea. Like, we need to do this. And we went, I, I went, we sat down, the three of us, and kind of went over everything. And like, this is how much a car is going to cost. This is how much fuel is going to cost. And then 
you know, this is how much our flights to Manaus and Peru and everything are going to cost. And so, you know, it was all pretty much sixes as far as cost goes. So basically figured about $5,000, give or take a little bit, would buy our three bikes. And we go into a bike shop and like, okay, we need three. Are these brand new? No. These are like 10-year-old bikes. Okay. So mine was a 2000, I guess, no. It would, they'd have been like five or six years old. So they were newer. Um, but yeah, we go into this bike shop and say, hey, here's, you know, this big stack of cash. We would like three motorcycles, please. And they're like, no. And we just like hardballed for like two or three days straight. Just, we got to get these, like, we got to make this happen. We end up buying Nyan's bike and Day's bike. They were Yamaha 225s. And then I bought a Honda 250. So the lady had one that was wrecked. And then had one that was broke. So we took all the parts off the broke one, put it on the wrecked one, and I bought that one. And, um, yeah, we just <laughs> rode into town, bought a helmet, and uh, loaded our gear on our backs, and just we just got after it, just hammer down. So a five-week trip turned into how long? Three months. Three months. Well, turned into indefinite at that point. We did yeah. the, like once we bought the bikes, the plan was out the window. Uh, we, uh, you know, basically scrapped our, our, the plan, our to go original, to Machu Picchu yeah, we was, the plan was still to ride. So the plan is instead of, you know, staying in one spot for two weeks and flying to another spot for two weeks, we're like, okay, let's ride. We're going to ride to Manaus, spend some time there. And then we'll ride to Machu Picchu, sell the bikes, fly home. Perfect. Let's go. Yeah. And, you know, Dave and Nine are very passive individuals, like to the point where it was very frustrating for all of us. So I'd, I would like, okay, guys, what do you guys want to do? I'd look at Nine. He'd just, I don't know. He'd shrug his shoulders. <laughs> I'd look at Dave. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm good with whatever. I'm like, I need some, like, I need some opinions here or else. We're like, I'm the kind of guy that goes on a hike and just gets himself into a serious bunch of trouble because i've got to go over the next hill and i'd be like oh man but i'm, I'm like right there i can i gotta see what's around that next I, there's got to be something right over this next hill and i'll just keep going to the point where it's after dark and i'm clear up in the mountains and you know I'm hours from home and the same thing happened on the motorcycle trip so from the beach in Florianopolis where we bought the bikes we cut loose i'm like dude let's ride up to uh Iguazu Falls, the biggest waterfalls in South America. Um, we rode up, visited some of my mission friends and people we baptized on the mission. Rode to Iguazu Falls, went to Argentina. And then um, we're like, man, we're in Argentina. We've got to go to Paraguay. It's right here. The three countries kind of come together right there. Rode over into Paraguay, which if you ever have a chance to go to Paraguay, it is mind-boggling. It's a spot, huh? Oh my gosh! You got to read this. You got to read the page about the day we went to Paraguay. Huh. The bridge going across from Brazil to Paraguay is like the only like commerce trading area there, and everything in Paraguay is just dirt cheap, and it's all like contraband and drugs and like wild, wild west. You go across from Brazil, nice paved streets, beautiful everything. Getting to Paraguay, it's just dirt holes and like like gangsters and drug dealers and it was wild but the bridge going across the paraguay was like four lanes of traffic going each way and then in between both lanes was just pure motorcycles 
It looked like it looked like a whole shot in a motocross race going both directions. Uh, it was insane. We, I broke broke both of my mirrors off my bike, hitting them on cars and motorcycles coming the other way. It's just unbelievable. But yeah, from Paraguay, we rode back into Brazil and then rode over to uh, Cotachiba and Sao Paulo, visited some more of my mission friends. We saw my mission president there, spent a few nights there. And then, um, where are you staying? Like, didn't you guys like have hammocks on yeah. the back of, of the bikes? Yeah. So we basically spent our whole budget on the bikes. And at that point, you know, I'd save some money, but, uh, not to talk bad about Dave or nine, but Dave, Dave, Dave had some money. Nine was <laughs> nine went all in on the yeah. bikes. And I was like, dude, I understand that. And you know, I'll help, you know, you know, create any buffer. You can pay me back someday if needs be, if not, don't worry about it. Let's just do this. And um, so, yeah, we'd bought hammocks when we were on the beach in Florianopolis. And um, we'd just ride, ride, ride. If we can't find like a, you know, a $10 hotel or hostel, we'd just find a nice park and hang our hammocks up. <laughs> Wouldn't uh, you like, I mean, you'd meet random people and stay in their houses and they'd invite you in. Yep. And- yeah, we stayed with a lot of random people. And that, that was honestly one of the best parts of the trip. It's just, you know, I, I wouldn't even say they were random people. Like... A lot of them almost feel like it was a godsend. Huh. And then we would meet these people and like, and in a way I felt like we like influenced them and, you know, brought some joy to their lives. And in turn, they would let us sleep in their place and, you know, give us a, sl- a safe place to sleep and a, and a warm meal in the morning. And that was, and that was, like I said, that was one of the best parts of the trip. Yo, and you said something right there that kind of stuck out to me, uh, safe. Like, I know that there was a couple stories that you told me. And I'm sure you've written about in your book that where the conditions were not very safe. Yeah. Any, any story like stick out to you to want to share? Um, so yeah, I'll fast forward a little bit. We'll get to that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, long story short, we hit the Brazilian coast and we just hammer down up the Brazilian coast, same with people we know from our missions or, you know, random beach towns or whatever. And there was a lot of times where, one guy would get lost for two or three days and then we'd like two or three days get on Facebook and message each other and like meet here and like meet back up. And you know, Dave broke down a couple times. His motor blew up and we left him. He like blew up in the middle of nowhere and we flagged down a truck and loaded him and his bike onto a truck. And we kept riding to a beach town and Dave went back to the, like some the next biggest town and got his bike fixed and, and, uh, yeah, we kept picking our way north until we got to uh, Fortaleza, Brazil, which is kind of like you're getting up towards the Amazon. And from there, we just took a hard left from, from the coast and headed down what they call the Trans-Amazonian Highway. And uh, you're riding along, beautiful. I mean, big trees, parrots, uh, just exotic animals and stuff, and uh, nice roads. And then all of a sudden, it was just like beautiful pavement, dirt. And, uh, we like the next probably 2000 miles were just dirt, muddy roads through the Amazon. 2000 miles, 2000 miles. If you've never ridden a motorcycle, like on a trip, you know what I mean? Even like a nice street bike on like nice paved roads, like 2000 miles on a motorbike on a 250, I'm sure yeah. was, uh, on, on dirt roads was probably pretty taxing. Yeah. We've, we've been on several Harley trips together Yeah, and most guys are good for about a hundred miles yep. before you got to get off and stop, which is about what we would do. Cause we'd be out of gas by then anyway. But, um, yeah, just 
down the dirtiest, wildest roads you've ever seen. And, uh, and there was one section where we cut. So we got clear into the Amazon, and then we needed to get to this town called Santarain, which is on the river. And there was this shortcut. It's like, it's like 150 miles of just pure jungle trails. And we got, we got like halfway through it and hit like a rainstorm and mud. And we literally had to drag our bikes through mud. Like in, we'd, we'd drive over trees that are probably 10 feet in diameter. Oh my God. Trees fall over and they don't bother cutting them out of the road. They just pile dirt up on both sides and drive over them because they, they're that big. They can't cut them in half. It's just nuts. And uh, anyway, we get to this city, Santarain. We get our, I mean, that's kind of where roads end. We could have gone south and up and around, but it would be like an extra two weeks. So we went to Santarain where the road ends. It just hits the river, and it's just, that's it. That's the end of the road. And from there, we loaded our bikes onto uh, these, like, they're kind of like a barge. And the bottom half is full of, like, bananas and, you know, miscellaneous stuff that's getting shipped up and down the river. And the top half's just wide open, and then they just hang up hammocks on hooks. And every, like, probably 10 inches, is there's two hooks, and they hang a hammock up on it. And the whole thing, it's like there was like 300 people sleeping on top of this boat, shoulder to shoulder in hammocks. We took the boat up the river for three days, and uh, that's where we hit Manaus, where Brian served his mission. We spent three or four days there just relaxing, just kind of like chilled out. We were all very... Probably recovering, too. Very tired at that point. Yeah. Tired of each other, even. It's like you spend that much time with a couple of guys, you're just like, oh, man. Like we we got into some like we'd get into scuffles and stuff and like we were still good friends but it was like oh man I just need to chill out for a minute and um yeah from the Amazon there we we're like okay new we got to reset we got to figure out what our plan is you know yeah we were staying with this family um they basically took us in like took their kids out of their beds and made us sleep in their children's beds like they they just treated us like like pure family. It's a family that nine had baptized on this mission. And it was unbelievable how kind these people were. They had nothing like, like literally they, they had a, just a tin roof for a ceiling and, 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 you know, brick, four brick walls and a couple of rooms built out in there. And they treated us just like pure royalty. It was um, un- incredible how nice these people were. Oh. But, um, yeah. So we're staying with that family and we're like, okay, team meeting, let's figure out what we're doing. And uh, we kind of got this Edge of Aldo guy. We're like, hey, what, what do you recommend? We're going to go to Peru and hike Machu Picchu, sell our bikes, fly home. He's like, no. He's like, you don't have titles to your bikes. Like, you, they will not let you in Peru. To get into Peru, you have to have all these documents and, like, proof showing you're going to bring the bike back out of Peru. And you can't, they won't let you sell it in Peru. And uh, I'm like, oh, frick. So we kind of reset and, like, well, let's figure out a different plan. And then I'm like, well, how about we sell the bikes here? He's like, oh, yeah, you could do that. But, you know, I work at the Yamaha factory, which is just down the street here. The, the Honda factory for all of Brazil is on the other side of the neighborhood. And then Suzuki's on the other side of town. So, you know. Bikes aren't worth much. Bikes are worth, used bikes are minimal because yeah. everybody works at the factory. They all get a factory, you know, half off discount. And so used bikes are just dime a dozen We're yeah like, man I'm not gonna give our bikes away and that, that just hurts and um 
we kind of stewed on it for a couple of days. I'm like, well, now what? And, uh, I just kind of got this thought. I'm like, dude, let's keep going. Let's, let's go North. And like, I'm like, what do you mean? Let's go North. I'm like, let's ride these things home to Utah, to Utah. And they're like, dude, we don't have time. We don't have money. I'm like, dude, we'll figure it out. If not, we'll just cut them loose, sell them wherever we are. We'll figure it out. And, uh, you know, they kind of just simultaneously like, let's do this. Let's do it. And, uh, yeah, we got up the next morning, packed up our bags and just rode north and, uh, straight into the Amazon. Like we hit a rainstorm that day. It was raining so hard. I couldn't see anything. Like it was just pure water. And then you're taking your hand on your, on your visor, your helmet, and just going like that. And you literally can't see anything. We had to stop and just yeah. take it. It was, it was insane. It was like painful rain. But, um, yeah, we rode north all the way through uh, the north part of Brazil till we hit Venezuela. And this is where the scary stuff starts. Yeah, Venezuela is not a real stable country, right? Yeah, and it's not very American-friendly. At least it wasn't back then. How was, was Brazilians cool with Americans? Brazilians were awesome. Okay. Unbelievable. Like, best people in the world. Like, we, I, we had a few times where people were like, like, like that person's sketchy, you know. Yeah. But never where I was like, oh, man, we're going down. Yeah. But um, we get to Venezuela, we get there at like five o'clock at night and uh, roll up to the passport station, get our passport stamped, get on our bikes and just ride into Venezuela, full tilt. We make it like uh, 150 miles into Venezuela and it's dark. I'm like, dude, let's get into, let's get away from these border towns because they're notoriously sketchy. Let's get into like the country and find a place to stay or camp. And uh, so it's probably eight or nine o'clock at night. We get stopped at a military checkpoint and they're like, they look at all of our documents and everything. They're like, dude, you, you're, we don't speak Spanish. Like we speak a little bit of Spanish, but we speak Portuguese. And so Venezuela is Spanish. And, uh, we get there and they're like, dude, you got to go back. You got to go get an international driver's license at the border town. You need a, an international, uh, insurance for your motorcycles and like two or three other things. And they were, I mean, they were aggressive and they like, machine guns and army, like full army post. I'm like, okay, we'll go, we'll go do it. So we ride back to the sketchy border town, find a place to sleep, spend the next two days, like scratching to get all this stuff done. And, um, we, uh, we're like, I'm, I'm to the point where I'm like, it's not going to happen. We're going to have to go back into Brazil, ditch these bikes and fly home. And, uh, we're sitting in the, there's kind of like a, it was almost felt like a cell. It was like a holding area for people trying to get into the country. And we're talking to this lady in broken Spanish and trying to figure it out and get online and figure out all the things. And, um, I'm, I, I just kind of leaned my head back on the brick wall and I was like, dude, we're done. Trip's over. And, uh, I said a little prayer. I was like, if, if we need to keep this thing going, heavenly father, please let us figure this out. And um, um, this guy walks through the door, and he looks like a complete movie star, like long, flowy hair, like built like a like a like a bodybuilder, tall dude, looks looks American, and he like walks straight in, gun on his hip, badge on, everything. I'm like, whoa, this guy's serious. And he walks in in Portuguese. He's like, hey, who are you guys? I'm like, oh, we're these three American guys. We're trying to get into trying to get in Venezuela to ride our bikes through and you know, we're just, we're stuck. He's like, come with me. Takes us out, 
getting his or follow him to his office, takes us in his office, writes up some big fake letter and notarizes it. That gives us like permission to drive through the country, gives us all the insurance, like basically gave us a full, a full pass to get through Venezuela, stamps us, takes us back to the office and gets us like the, and pushes us through the whole system, gets us all the stuff we need, takes us out to the road and is like, okay, have fun. Wow. And I was like, whoa, that's just incredible. Like we're just high five and just, just beside ourselves. So pumped. And I'm um, like, okay, let's go. And uh, we go to get on the road. We're all out of gas, like bone dry. I'm like, dude, we got to get fuel before we get out of here. So we go around in Venezuela, communist country. You can only, at that time, you could only fuel up on uh, Wednesdays and Fridays. If you're, Weird. yeah. I mean, we'd fuel, so our bikes would hold, you know, five to eight gallons of gas. We'd fill our whole bike up for like a nickel, like, because it's communist. It's all, you know, government subsidized. It's uh-huh. incredible. Like gas is free basically in Venezuela. And um, so we rip over to the gas station. They closed like two minutes before we got there. And, you know, it's open on, what did I say? Wednesdays, Wednesdays and Fridays. Wednesdays and Fridays. It was Friday. And they wouldn't be open again until the next Wednesday. So we're like, you got to be kidding me. We're done. Like, we're going to have to wait here until next Wednesday to get gas. And um, now what? You know, we're, we're yeah. and it's getting dark in this sketchy border town. We're just sick of it. We just want to get out of there. And uh, we start asking around, like, dude, where can we get some gas? We need some fuel. And uh, they're like, well, you can buy it from these black market people, but most people won't admit that they sell it because it's super illegal. And uh, we start riding into town and just asking everybody, like, hey, we need to buy some, do you know, do you know someone who buys some fuel? And everybody thinks we're spies or the government because we're American, don't speak good Spanish, asking if we can buy black market fuel, you know. And um, we ask probably 30, 40 people, search for an hour or two. And then I look over and uh, either Dave or Nyan's talking to a little kid. I'm like, come on, guy. Like, yeah, like what's he going to do? Yeah, like, come on. Let's, we're trying to get something done here. Why are you, like, talking to kids? And uh, talks to this little kid, and the kid's like, hey, my grandpa sells gas. I'm like, no way. This is a trap. Dude, we're for sure getting mugged and robbed. Like, I, I just did not want it. I wanted nothing to do with it. And Dave just took off following this kid. I'm like, all right, whatever. So I kind of follow behind just hesitantly. Follow him over to this guy's house. He's like, okay, put, turn your bikes off and push him in the back. I'm like, dude, we're dying. This guy's killing us. Taking for your sure. bikes, uh, bikes taking are your gone. stuff. We're dead. Passports, everything. We're done. Push our bikes behind this guy's house. He's like, turn them off, turn them off. Get him back here and closes the gate. I'm like, oh gosh, <laughs> it's over. And he pulls out like these two big, uh, they're Coke bottles full of gas. Pulls starts pulling out all these Coke bottles and dumping them in our bikes. And uh, we paid 300% for our fuel. So he made, he basically made a month's wages on what he charged us for our gas, which is fine. It's only five bucks or something. Yeah. And uh, um, I'm still just like sketched out, like, and all of a sudden, this guy's family starts walking out of the house. You know, kids coming out, and then a guy comes out, and a couple ladies come out, and there's like 10 people there looking at us. And we're all sitting on our bikes, and they're all sitting there, and we're kind of trying to communicate in, you know, broken Spanish. And the one of the ladies pipes up. She's like, hey, uh, where are you guys from? We're like, the, the United States? And she's like, yeah, but like, where? I was like, uh, Utah? You heard of Utah? She's like, 
so are you guys, uh, you guys Mormons? I was like, yeah, we are. Are you? She's like, yeah, we used to be like the church. They took the church out of like the church. No one's gone to church here in years since they took the missionaries away. But yeah, we used to go to church all the time. We loved it. It's like, you gotta be kidding me. Huh. Like this sketchy little border town. We find like some random Mormon family out in the middle of nowhere to sell us gas. And then all of a sudden, 10 minutes later, we're inside their house having a party, cooking a barbecue. And uh, they invite us to sleep there. And then uh, she, uh, as we and got up the next morning, she's like, hey, where are you guys going now? And we're like, well, we're going to go to El Tigre. And then uh, up to um, Caracas. And then follow the coast over. She's like, you don't want to go to Caracas. You go to Caracas, you're going to die. We're like, okay. And she like mapped out this new route through the country that took us around, uh, took us around Caracas. And, uh, and as we rode away that day, I was like, I just got this like crazy feeling like your life was saved. Wow. Like like that lady meeting that lady wasn't a coincidence. It's just like, man, nuts. So back on the trail, ride hard again. We got caught by another military checkpoint, probably 10 hours into Venezuela they detain us and like take our bikes, take our packs, start searching us like aggressively. And I'm like, okay, yeah, this is the point where we spend, uh, we spend a couple years in Venezuelan prison. Cause there was a, there's a podcast out right now about that dude who went yeah. down to marry that girl. Mm-hmm. Spent a few years. Yeah. Yeah. Him and his wife. Yeah. They blamed him for being a spy. Yep. And so this guy's aggressive, like pushing us, like push us into like a cell and are holding us. And there's a bunch of guards there watching us as they search all our stuff. And I mean, they're digging into our packs full of moldy clothes. <laughs> like, like that was, they, they were not, they were not doing any themselves any favors by searching our stuff. But, um, yeah, the guy came back just super aggressive again, like getting in our faces, yelling at us, asking us what we're doing, all this stuff. And I just got this thought, like this guy is just a big black dude, you know, he's like very in your face. I'm like, yeah, El Capitan, right? And he's like, yeah, El Capitan. I'm like, I'm like, you kind of look like Obama, El Presidente. And he just got like this arrogant look on his face. He's like, <laughs> yeah, I sure do. Like, he's just like, we just pumped him up for like a half hour, just like stroking this guy's ego. And uh, yeah, I was like, I was, I was convinced we were staying there. I was, I was fully prepared to be detained and locked up. And then, uh, yeah, after like kind of just BSing with him for a half hour, he's like, you guys can go. Just cut us loose. Dang. And that was one of the times where I thought it was over. But we got through. And uh, from there, we cut loose, kept riding. And um, in Venezuela, we had, every time we'd stop in Venezuela, someone would be like, what the heck are you doing here? You guys are going to get killed, and someone's going to steal your motorcycles. And we'd just look at each other like, oh, gosh, get on the ride, you know? And um, one of the scariest, if not the scariest part of the trip for me was in El Tigre. The, the lady told us to go to to go out into the country we uh, roll up in there uh, it's probably like eight or nine o'clock at night and everybody that we met in venezuela is like don't ride at night whatever you do don't ride at night just find a place stay we're riding at night like everybody told us not to so we pull up we're like gas up go get some food and we're gonna ride into the like out into like a national park or something we'll find a place to sleep was the plan and um we roll in find this little like cafe it's open park our bikes outside we leave nine to watch the bikes me and dave go in and get some food we order some food and uh some guy walks in 
next to Dave and has a giant knife in his hand, sits down next to Dave and looks over at him. He says, someone's going to steal your motorcycles. And the guy gets up and walks out. Me and Dave look at each other just like, oh gosh. And we grab, throw some money down, grab our food, run out. And we're like, Nyan, Nyan, someone's going to steal our bikes. And Nyan's sitting there. And like, I look over and there's two or three guys across the street that weren't there. Two or three guys on, on our side of the street down here that weren't there. And like a couple guys in cars sitting there. I'm like, oh frick. Like we got to get out of here now. Get on our bikes and just start just start ripping out of town. And everybody follows us. All these cars follow us. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, oh gosh. Like, oh. I'm like freaking out. I'm like, no way we can outrun these guys. You know, we do 60 miles an hour tops. And they're in cars and trucks and stuff. Heading out outside of the, we're driving out of this little town. And as you leave town, there's a police checkpoint. And we're, we're flying. And we come flying up on this checkpoint. Guy runs out in the road, pulls us over and pulls us in, take all our packs off our bikes, take everything into the little police station and start just wailing on us. Like, what are you doing? We need money. You have to pay this much money to go pass. I'm like, we don't have any money, man. Like, we don't have anything. And uh, they're just trying to get trying to get money out of us, you know? Yeah. And uh, we, we didn't have, really didn't have any Venezuelan money. Like, maybe, you know, 10 bucks on us or something. We end up trading, the, giving the guy a bunch of chocolate and like a, like a bottle of cologne and like some miscellaneous trinkets and stuff. And uh, they they kind of made ourselves cool with them and they let us go. And they're like, where are you guys going? And we're like, well, we're going to ride north and then we're going to go out kind of towards Caracas and then we're going to ride around through the country. He's like, no, no way. Don't like you ride that way. You will get killed. They will kill you and take your bike. And uh, he's like, you're going to ride back in towards town. You're going to go two miles. You're going to take a right and you're going to ride a thousand miles out through the country and go all the way around all the Venezuelan cities. You'll go all the way through like the farmlands. And I'm like, okay, note taken. And, um, wrote, got on our bikes, rode back into town, took, took a right, went out into the darkness, just pitch black dark. And, uh, we'd, we'd been, we'd been on the bikes like five minutes. And I look up and I can see every star in the sky. And I got like this just overwhelming feeling like to the, like, I don't cry much. I don't, I, I think I've maybe cried five times in the past 15 years, but I was right at the verge of tears. This feeling I got that my life was saved right there. Like we were absolutely protected, whether it be by angels or the spirit or whatnot. But that was the, the scariest part of the trip right there. Sheesh. That feeling I got just like, you know, that guy saved your life because there was somebody down that road that was going to do major harm to us. And, um, yeah, it was, it was crazy. But yeah, from there we just rode out through the farmlands. It was dark already and we were all shook up at that point. And we just rode we're like, you know, we basically stopped after like an hour or two and like, you guys good? Yeah, we're good. Let's keep riding. We kept riding, kept riding. And, um, we got probably, it was probably two or three in the morning. And uh, my chain started to slip on my back sprocket, just like slip and slip and like stop and tighten it and just slip and then stop and take a link out with like a pair of pliers and a stick and a rock, you know, <laughs> tighten my chain and still slipping like, man. And so I just got on and just kind of like kind of nursed throttle. I'd be doing like 30, 40 miles an hour maybe and just kind of going along and Dave and Nyan were behind me. And I'm just kind of limping along and they're staying behind me. 
we got into some fog and everything and, you know, riding is just, it's, you know, three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning. And I look back and they're, they're not there. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like I can't really turn around and go back. I'm like getting close to like the next town. And, uh, I'm like, Oh guys. So I'm like, I'll just keep going until I get to the next town. I'll stop at like their police checkpoint thing and I'll wait for them there. So I rode till the sun came up. It's probably like six or seven o'clock in the morning. We'd been riding all day, all night, you know, probably 30-something hours on the bikes. I stopped at the little police checkpoint. I sat there for, like, two or three hours, and they didn't come. I'm just like, oh, gosh. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know it, but Diesel Dave ended up hitting a dog in the middle of the night. And uh, I remember seeing those pictures. Yeah, got his knuckles all chewed off and his shoulder, and like, screwed him up pretty good. Don't know what I did to the dog, but, yeah. I, so I ended up being alone from right there until we got to the Colombian border. And, um, yeah, I had my bad sprocket. I ended up breaking down in the next big town, got picked up by a biker gang, spent like four or five days with them. They rebuilt my whole bike and showed me like a great time. Took me to a bunch of parties and like biker gang barbecues and stuff. It was awesome. I think you might've tagged me in a picture or something. Yeah, I probably did. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So I, when we, we got to Columbia. I, I ended up getting an getting a email back and forth. We got a hold of each other and said, "Hey, let's meet in the Colombian border this day, this time." And I rode up there, met them there, and um, we rode through Colombia. We got to Cartagena, Colombia. I got on. We every like probably five hundred miles, I'd get on Google or, or Google Maps, kind of plan out the next like you know five days of the trip or something. I get on Google Maps and type in Panama, and it's just like no routes. I was like, no routes. Like, <laughs> what, like, what do you mean no routes? And I start looking through the map, and there's just no, there's a 200 kilometers called the Darien Gap that doesn't connect South America and, and Central America. And the only way to get across, I got on a bunch of backpacker forums and stuff. The only way to get across is on a, a ship, like a barge, a container. You can pay like a thousand bucks for you and your motorbike and have somebody fly you across. Or these backpackers take these little sailboats across. So we did a bunch of research, went down to the marina and just hung out there asking everybody we could find, like, hey, who sails across? Found some dude that would sail us across for 400 bucks. <coughs> and, uh, yeah, we had to smuggle our bikes onto a ship at night. So we pushed our bikes down the dock, and, uh, took a rope from the top of the mast of the sailboat down to our bikes and, like, cranked up the, the mast rope and swung our bikes out over the ocean and set them on the top, top front of his houseboat or his sailboat. And then, um, yeah, we sailed across the Caribbean for three days. And by, I mean, we sailed. It was us that did it. The captain was just a pure alcoholic and drug abuser, Captain Pedro. Huh. He was just passed out the entire time. So me, Dave, and Nyan sailed most of the time because he was just beside himself. <laughs> and uh, we get clear. We get to where we can see the Panamanian coast. So we're basically there. And... Um, some some kid, some other backpacker that was on the boat saw dolphins. He's like, hey, I, do you guys see those dolphins? Let's go back and look at the dolphins. So the captain gets off of his course and does like a loop around to look at these dolphins and then comes back on another, on a, on a different course. And uh, all of a sudden we just, kapoof! And uh, we had run the sailboat aground. We were stuck on a, a coral reef. And I like look at the guys. I'm like, dude, we're stuck on a we're stuck on a coral reef. And um, 
How far off off the shore? We're like five miles off the shore. We can oh we can see gosh. land. We can see land. We're there, you know. Like he, we were going to unload the bikes. Is where where we got stuck, and uh, the captain starts freaking out and reversing the boat and everything back and forth. And all of a sudden, all these Indians show up in these like wooden canoes with outboard motors on the back, just out of the woodworks. Just Indians coming up from everywhere. There's probably twenty boats there. And they're like ramming the sailboat, pushing it back. And they've got ropes tied on the back, trying to pull it out and everything. And me and another guy put on snorkels and jump under the boat. And we're like picking up rocks underneath the boat and pulling them out from underneath like the spot where the boat's stuck. And the captain's like, we got to get the motorcycles off the front. He's like, there's no way we're getting off this reef. The tide's going out. Those motorcycles have to come off the front. We're like, you just going to drop them in the water? He's like, no, we and he like calls one of the main Indians over, ties their little, his wooden canoe. It's literally cut out of a tree. So they take a giant tree and just cut the guts out of it, make it a canoe, and put a motor on the back. So he took the ropes or took the bikes to the mast again with the rope, crank them up in the air, swing them out over the water, and he we lowered each of them down into these into these little cutout canoes, threw our bags in the canoes, and then unloaded us into the canoes, and then did one more big push and pull with the Indians by boats. And a uh, sailboat popped off. And then uh, Captain Pedro just gets up on the front of the boat. He's like, okay, see you later. And just like, it, huh? we're gone. And oh uh, so gosh. we're in these boats with these Indians. We're like, where the heck are these guys taking us, you know? And um, they just start motoring towards towards land. And we were supposed to go to like some little like visa checkpoint area to get our passport stamped. We just went right past it and went up some like inlet, um, river inlet, and weave up. Like, I don't know how far we went up, five miles or something. And we get to, like, some little, like, tributary, that little inlet, and there's just, like, a little mud ramp. And they just stuffed the noses of these canoes in that mud ramp, drug all of our stuff out, and then just demanded a, an asinine amount of money. Like, we need, like, $350 for each of you for your import fees and for your Indian trespass fees and for your your boat passage and for all this stuff. And like, I'm like, I had $50 cash like stuffed in like a random little compartment in my backpack and I'm not about to give that up and uh we'd maybe had 10 or 15 bucks miscellaneous we scratched together whatever like you know a little bit of cash we had and then just just opened our backpacks and just started the bartering process so we here's a pair of rubber boots we gave him a climbing rope another bottle of deodorant or a stick of deodorant and like some just random miscellaneous some candy or something we had and uh, they're, they're, they're full machine guns. Like, I don't know if they were f the FARC military or who they were, but they were serious and they were pissed. And uh, we were there for, I don't know how long, an hour or two, just fighting with them. And, you know, finally they just realized that we were broke and didn't have anything we could give them. And they're like, okay, you guys can go. Wow. And got on and, man, we just, that, from there on, it was just hammer down home. And uh, we rode through all of Panama Costa Rica, El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala, Mexico, and uh, and all the way home. Where did you Where did you come into the states at? I crossed in Nogales, which was another crazy deal. So about halfway through Mexico, we I mean we were all mentally and physically just broken basically, and uh, we'd been sleeping in our hammocks. And Mexico's as sketchy as it gets, you know, and um. 
we're about halfway through Mexico and uh, we get stopped at a mil- at a police checkpoint, which was at this point, it's like every 50 miles and it's so painful. They search all your stuff. We're just over it. So I'm just like being mouthy and, uh, and I'm there to going through our rotten bags of rotten clothes and just stinks. And it's like, oh, I'm just so over it. And I'm um, sitting there fighting with this military police guy and um, it's way hot. And then Nyan rolls up next to me, leans his bike over and puts his exhaust right across the side of my calf oh, and no. just fried me. And I just, I was just like, I'm going to hit him. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to hurt his feelings to the point where we won't be friends or I'm going to hit him. And I just stuffed my stuff in my bag and clipped it shut. And I rode off, like grabbed my passport from the guy and just left. And I rode like two or three miles up the road and got, it was just like a long straight road and I could see him behind me. So I just kind of kept him on my rear view mirror and just make sure they're kind of back there. And um, went around a bend and the road, all the traffic, there was construction. So all the traffic shifted to one side of the freeway and it had both lanes on that side. And then a, there was a semi alongside of me and he just, he was making a left-hand turn and he came all the way over and into my lane. And he obviously I was in his blind spot on, on the passenger side, right against his trailer. And he basically like kind of nudged me off the road into the gravel. So I go to hit my brakes, hit my back brake, and it just bottoms out. It's gone. So I hit my front brake in the gravel because I'm going to hit like a barrier. And it just slingshots me onto the ground. And I can just see these semi-tires just turning right next to my head here. I'm just like, oh, gosh. This is it. I'm done. And uh, he turns. And I slide 30, 40 yards in the gravel, get up, dust myself off. I'm all right. Everything's good. Had some pretty sweet road rash. And uh, so I sat there for a minute waiting for Dave and Nyan to show up, and they just never came. Just gone. No idea where they went. Like, it was like there was one highway, you know. And somehow they had gotten off the highway and didn't didn't find me. So I rode into the next town, went to Red Cross, got buttoned up, and then um, went to, I rode into the night, slept that night, then I got up and rode like 45 hours straight, rode all the way to the border. From, so I was south of Mexico City, and I rode all the way to, to uh, Nogales, which is the border for Arizona. And uh get to the, the border in Nogales, it's like 7 o'clock at night, getting dark. It's uh, April by now, or close to April. And um, I'm just like top of the world. I just feel like, you know, I made it. Yeah. I did it by my, like, yeah, I don't even know where the guys are. I did it. And I'm, I made it. I roll up to the, to the checkpoint, roll in, you know, the dude's speaking English. I'm high fiving. I'm just super happy. Just pumped out of my mind. Give him all my documents, get everything, get through the first checkpoint, search my bags, get to the second checkpoint. He's like, okay, you're good to go. We just got to do one more thing. Then you're out. Okay. Okay. Sweet. And uh, comes back out. He's like, "Okay, you're good to go. Wait, hold on one second. Let me see your uh, your import papers for your bike." I'm like, "Oh yeah, I don't really have those." He's like, oh, "Yeah, you gotta. You're gonna have to go back into Nogales. You can't come through." I'm like, "Dude, you're gonna send me back into this very dangerous, deadly border town. Like, driving through Nogales to the border. Like, there's a there's a, a like a military police car in in the middle of every intersection." with a giant machine gun mounted on the top and a dude like holding this machine gun. Like, you're going to send me back in there. He's like, dude, dude, there's no, you can sleep outside of the border station here if you want, but you, I mean, you can't come in. 
you can't come in with that bike. You can leave your bike out there and you can walk in, but you can't bring the bike in. I'm like, dude, there's no way it'll be, it'll be so gone by morning. He's like, yeah, but this is a, this is a commercial border for like semis and stuff. So it closes in 10 minutes. So you got to make your decision. I'm like, well, I'm not going to leave my stuff in my bike. He's like, okay, you got to go back to Nogales. I was like, oh, I'm dead. It's game over, man. So I rode back into Nogales. I went to the mall, got on the internet, tried sending Dave and Diane a message, didn't answer. So I went and tried finding a, like a place, like a motel that would lock my bike inside. Couldn't find any place. Went to like, like the little centers, like the commercial center in the middle of town. And, um, I, uh, um, went and got some tacos from a taco stand shooting with shooting the bull with some old man taco maker. And it was by this point, it's like two o'clock in the morning. And I'm just like, oh, I don't know. Like I asked him for a place to stay. He said, not around here. Kind of tried to tell him my story and my broken Spanish. He's like, so you need, you need to go to the United States. I'm like, yeah. He's like, dude, there's a, there's a place right over here. It's 24 hours. You have to walk in. But, but and people go with bicycles, so you can try and push your motorbike and uh, start my bike and kind of roll over there. And there's like this long line of uh, these Mexican migrant workers going across to work in the morning. And I just like kill my bike like 100 yards or like uh, it was probably 20 yards from this line and just coast all the way to the front of the line in front of all these people and then roll up and just tip my helmet up. And there's just this big black dude. And I'm like, hey, man. He's like, bro, are you American? I'm like, yes, sir, I am. I've been gone for three months, man. I'm just trying to get home. Let me see your passport. I just flashed my passport up. He's like, get the hell out of here. <laughs> just get on it. Just, man, just full tilt into Arizona, man. It was like, like I was just had this crazy, overwhelming, like rush of emotions, like almost tears. Yeah. Like, I don't cry, but I, I felt like I could have. And, uh, yeah, I rode, uh, just rode hard. I just, I just wanted to get away from Mexico. I got, I'm like, I'm just going to get as far away from the border as I can. And I'm going to sleep and uh, find just find a place to camp. I can camp in Arizona. Uh, Arizona's cool. And yeah. um, so I rode like an hour. And I was just riding along, just high on life, you know. I'd been riding for I, I don't even know how many hours on end, days. And I'm just, it just starts hitting me. It's like 2 or 3 in the morning at this point. And I just start, and everything starts to like fuzz together. And all of a sudden I just, poof. And I'd fallen asleep, hit my head on the handlebars. Like, and it, I was just like, it's it. I got to stop. I got I to gotta stop. And there's a furniture store. I pull in behind this furniture store, roll around the back, and there was a couple, like, like southern Arizona-type trees there. I stop, pull my hammock out, throw the ropes up, climb in my hammock, and out, just immediately asleep, you know? I'm like, I made it. I did it. And, uh... I don't know how long I slept, a couple hours or something. And then uh, I just I just get woken up like, hey, 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 get up, get up, get out of bed. And I like, oh, I like pull my hammock down, look out, and it's just red and blue lights. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> like, you're cops. really, there's three cop cars. There. This is the welcome you wanted back. Welcome home, bro. Yeah. And uh, so I'm like, all right, I, I can, I, I'm, I'm good now, you know. These are, I, I get out of my hammock, tell the guys my story. They're like, yeah, right. Like, there's no way. I'm like, dude, I swear I just rode this motorcycle home from Brazil. I just want to go home. And they're like, yeah, right, man. And I showed them, like, all my pictures, documents, passport, everything. I'm like, dude, this is really real deal. 
He's like, okay, well, uh, you can't sleep here anymore. I'm like, I'm fine. I'm up now. Like, I'll keep going. What time is this? This is probably like three or four in the morning. Oh, so you got a couple hours. A couple hours sleep for sure. And uh, he's like, you can't, you can't sleep. This is trespassing. You got to get, got to move along. I'm like, okay. I start packing my stuff. He's like, let me see your driver's license real quick. Hand him my driver's license and uh, packing my crap. And he's like, comes back. He's like, hey, have you ever had a ticket in Arizona? I'm like, not that I can know. Definitely not. He's like, how about a, a boating ticket in 2005? Was this like Air Page? Lake Powell. Yeah. yeah, I got a ticket for a kid riding on the bow of my boat, and I fought it because it was bullcrap ticket. And uh, um, turns out the the judge had never dismissed it. Like I had talked to the judge on it, he's like, "Yeah, it's bullcrap," and uh, he'd canceled it, but it never got dismissed for whatever reason. Went to a warrant, never got notified, never got a letter, nothing. They arrest you. Dude comes back, he's like, "You got a warrant for your arrest in Arizona." which is where you are. I'm like, I'm like, no man, no way, no way. I just told you everything I went through. I went through Venezuela, Colombia, like all of Brazil, Pan, like, like all these ridiculously dangerous, sketchy places. You, I'm not going to get arrested right here. I won't do it, dude. Don't do it. Please don't do it. Like I promise on my life, I will fix this the second I get home. Don't you dare arrest me. Don't you dare. You can't. I, I was like raising, like yelling at him that he couldn't arrest me. And uh, they went back, the three of them talked for like half an hour and came back and like, yeah, we called the sergeant. He says, don't arrest you, but you have to take care of this the second you get home. I'm like, I promise on my life, I will do it. They didn't arrest me. Nice. I got on right there and I just put the hammer down. I was probably uh, like two hours south of Tucson right there. I rip up through like Phoenix, Mesa, cut across over through... Uh, um, Flagstaff, and then up over to Canab. And by the time I hit Canab, dude, it was this is uh like April 1st. It's still cold. Cold. Yeah. So I stopped in Canab and spent, I put like $350 on my credit card for like, <laughs> I bought like sweatpants and like warm gloves and like, like a coat and pants. I was freezing to death. And uh, from Canab, I got on and rode. All the way up through Panguitch, dropped over down to Beaver, and then from Beaver was Fillmore. There's a big hill south of Fillmore where my parents live. I came down that hill. I got my fastest speed record of the whole trip. I hit 75 miles an hour, and then I was just like, I like this crazy feeling of like accomplishment and like tiredness. Like it's hard to explain. I rolled down, got got off the metal Utah exit. We, we live out in the fields like 10 miles out of town right down the dirt road towards my parents house and my parents house kind of sits up on a little hill and there's a road that goes straight towards my parents front windows and then it ends at my parents house and goes right or left and I could see the lights were on so I ride down nobody uses the front door in our house and it's kind of like the front door everybody uses the side door and the front door is here and there's like 10 steps that go up to the front porch and then there's the kitchen window right there and I ride along there and I see my mom in the window washing dishes. So I go, and, and I, I didn't say this, but once we hit uh, Panama, my dad sent me a threatening email and told me to sell the motorbike. He said, sell the wheel and get for home. This is ridiculous. We've had enough. And I was like, oh, stop telling him what I'm doing. <laughs> Just get, <coughs> I'm not going to tell him I'm riding at home. Yeah. He's going to go for it. So they hadn't heard from me for like a week or two. 
they think I'm dead. So I, uh, I come riding up the, the front steps on my parents' porch. My mom's stand, sitting right there in the front window washing dishes. And I just hear her scream. And I get halfway up the stairs. My chain comes off. <laughs> and uh, my bike just basically belly, flop, belly flops on the front porch. Just tips over and smash. Breaks my mirror. Stuff goes everywhere. My mom comes running out. And I'm standing there just in all my rain gear and these clothes I bought in Canab. And my face is just dark black from all the road grime. And she just starts screaming and just bawling. Like, it was insane. Like, just the craziest, like, unbelievable feeling of you did it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was none of it was planned. It just kind of happened. And, uh, yeah, like I said, in the countless times, you know, prayers were answered and my life was saved. And I'll be honest, man. It's, it's harder to do nowadays because, you know, kids and obligations and family. But, dude... That motorcycle trip has inspired me like at some point in my life, you know, I want to be on a motorcycle with no real game plan, you know? Yeah, I'd give anything to do it again. Yeah. Like you said, it's just to, you know, not only the feasibility of doing it with kids, but like the danger aspect and irresponsibility of going and doing it with kids. But some way, somewhere in my life, I'm trying, there will be a way that I can line it up where I can take my family and do a similar thing. So let's talk about uh, how many total miles you did on that motorcycle. So last, as far as I can tell, uh, we did about 25,000 kilometers, 25 to 27,000, which is roughly 17,000 miles. Holy crap. And uh, I mean, did you guys like change tubes and stuff on the side of the freeway oh, or yeah. side, side of the road type deal? Yeah, I mean, after like the first month, Oil changes, I mean, dude. Spare sprockets and spark plugs and, you know, we went through two sets of tires. I'd go through a spark, a sprocket and chain every two weeks. Yeah. And uh, I talk about it a lot in the book, stopping for parts and had like having like major breakdowns and, you know, all the complications of motorcycle life. And, uh, yeah, it got expensive and, you know, it was, it was interesting Dude, for sure. I don't know that you could put like a value or a price on like that trip or you, that, that even that story. But I mean, dude, to me, that's worth more than millions of dollars. I yeah. mean, like there, there's guys that have made hundreds of millions of dollars who will never have a legacy, like a story like that to tell like their kids, their grandkids, uh, to write a book, you know yeah. what I mean? And that's one thing that I, I talk about on the show. You know, you'd expect me, I'm dude, I'm not the guy that can tell you how to make a million dollars. Uh, you know, I'm not the super successful dude, but like my goal in life when I'm getting old and like, you know, times winding up, if I make it that long, cause you never know, yeah. uh, is I want to be a storyteller and I want to like have my grandkids sitting around and being like, grandpa, tell us about this time. Tell us about that time. And dude, honestly, that part of the inspiration was like, has been seeing your trips and seeing what you've done and specifically this trip. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if you're listening, uh, you know, you don't need, you don't need to make six figures a year to take a trip that will absolutely, you know, be a memory for the rest of your life. You don't have to wait till you have, you know, a, a $25,000 BMW Enduro bike to take a trip around the country. Yep. You know what I mean? Uh, you can do all this stuff now. You can plan the stuff now. You know, you can do it, and it and it, it's not dependent on how much money you make. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, and that was, but when I was probably halfway through my book writing nonsense, 
um, as much as I hated it, I, I, I was, I got to a point where like, you know what, like I got to get this done because my grandma told me to. And, uh, and, uh, and I felt like part of the reason for me writing it was, you know, somewhere, somehow my story can either inspire someone to be, to live a little closer to God. Cause you know, there's, there's several points throughout our trip that, you know, like either through prayer or, you know, saving grace or guardian angels or whatever, you know, my life was saved or, or benefited in some, in some way. But, um, aside from that, like if I can inspire at least even one person to go out and go for it, to just do then it, it'll be, just do it, man. Just like yeah. cut loose and do it. You know, I'm, I'm not like an overly outgoing guy. You know, my, it's like my dad says, like, you know, I, I don't, I'm not antisocial. I just don't like people, you know, yeah. <laughs> but I do like people. I love people. I just, but I'm, I'm like, I'm a shy, I'm a kid. I'm a, I'm a shy farm kid. Right. I grew up 10 miles out of town. I didn't have like, you know, neighbors to go like associate with or whatever. When I did summer sales, I was terrible at it because I hated talking to people. I had a hard time as a missionary because I just, I just had a hard time going out and talking to strangers. Yep. But doing like, doing like this trip and some other things in my life, it like opened me up to where, I could like get out and actually like, you know, talk to anybody about anything and usually convince them to either help me with something or do something, you know, you know, do something and, and benefit from themselves or from, for me. And, um, that was, that was pretty important. Yeah. Um, that was a pretty, pretty big takeaway for me. So if you get anything from this podcast or from my book or what's from the whatever, title of the book, the book's called in the pursuit of life. And, um, where can they buy it uh, if, you're in, if they're interested? They can uh, buy it on Amazon. Amazon. Yeah, it's on Amazon, or you can hit me up and I'll send you a copy. Yeah, and what's your Instagram handle? How, how do they it's find a, you on Instagram? It's Jackknife Jim with two Ks. And yeah, um, yeah. and uh, yeah, it was a pretty, pretty, pretty sweet deal. And if you ever, if you have any aspirations in your life, there's anything you've ever wanted to do, just do it. Go yeah. for it. And that's, that's where I think that uh, I've always been inspired from you, man, is uh, you're the guy that's always just going for it. And, and a lot of times, you know, maybe you don't have a plan, but it always works out. Yeah. And I think that people are so hung up on that. You know, it's like, I don't have the money. I don't have a plan. It's, it's, it's not the right time, you know? And I think that you've just gone out and done it. Yeah. It's funny you say that because my plan was to get married. Like that was my, like all my best friends got married you know, when we were 22, like I had five weddings in a week, all my roommates, all my best friends, my cousin all got married. And I was like, okay, I'm going to get married. And I was, uh, I was probably 27, 28 when we did this trip. And, you know, you know, I, I worked day and night trying to figure out, you know, getting myself married and it just wouldn't happen. It just couldn't, you know, I couldn't figure it out for whatever reason. Either they, the girls liked me and scared me off or I liked them and scared them off and it just wouldn't line up. And it just puzzled me why, you know, this really righteous goal that I had wouldn't come together. And then after I finished this trip, you know, it was kind of like one of those things where like, oh, like I really needed to do that for me. Yeah. Um, you know, I can get married whenever, but that trip had to happen. And now and, you're married to a... And now I'm married and I know. have three beautiful kids and a beautiful wife. So it worked out. 
Well, Jim, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, man. Dude, thanks uh, for telling the story, and uh, I'm looking forward to reading the book. Yep. Go hit up Jim on Instagram. Go buy his book on Facebook. And like I said, man, this isn't a guy. He, there's no suit and tie here. You know what I mean? Uh, it, he's he's a regular dude with an incredible story and a lot of passion. So thanks, okay. Jim. And thank you guys for listening to another episode of the Changing Pace Podcast. Freaking awesome, man. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Appreciate the opportunity. Sorry if I got long-winded. Not at all. I get, dude, ex- I, I, I get, I get excited. I just can't stop. No, man. I've, uh, I've heard you tell stories, but it was cool to hear it all the way through. I think people are going to be stoked.